Welcome to the May 2021 edition of Book Plate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I'm Annie, producer host, and in this book, I am watching the elevator descend from the lobby. Um, I'm Britt, and in this book, I'm the basketball, just getting thrown around while all of this horrible shit is happening all around me. And I'm Amanda, and I could not find a classification in this book where I felt like 100% this is me. This just felt like a really serious topic, and I was totally focused and enthralled by it. They just sort of drew me in. Awesome. Yeah, okay. So our next thing is the amuse-bouche, which is the whole bite of what we're going to get into today. Will knows the rules. Number one, no crying. Number two, no snitching. And number three, revenge. But as he takes his brother's gun, his brother who was murdered last night's gun, down the elevator to follow the rules, he's confronted with the ghosts of gun violence victims on every floor. An award-winning book in verse written by Jason Reynolds. Yeah, it's a serious book. And there wasn't like, I don't think there was another way to describe what's happening. Although I read a couple of different summaries. But it's like a beautifully poetic telling of this Mm -hmm. situation. Our next section is the other cover take where we ask our significant others what they think of the book just by looking at the cover. And I waited too long to ask Jamal. He's still asleep (laughs) at 2.15 on a Sunday. So (laughs) I I just got Garrett up to kick him out of the bedroom so I could record. Yeah, I asked Garrett. So I read the graphic novel version of this book, which shows an elevator at like different stops or whatever. And so so I read the graphic novel version of this book, which has a picture of the elevator at like four different levels or whatever. And so he said, well, let's see, there's an elevator and it's called Long Way Down. So maybe it's about... um people who like the elevator is descending to hell and like they're on the elevator for so long that it's like a metaphor for purgatory and they have to reconcile with like all of the bad shit that they've done on their way down to hell (laughs) so i was like "Mm -hmm." close i mean they are definitely reconciling with some shit so yeah and it's like an interlude so it is sort of purgatorial i think yeah it was a really good guess yeah um, I asked Phil, and I read the audiobook, but I showed him the print book cover, which is um, of sort of elevator buttons, and in the re- you can see a reflection of a boy um, in the silver, if you look close enough. So most of the book covers are covered with all the awards this book is won, so it's got like all these stickers <laughs> over it. Or something. <laughs> so when he saw that, he, he also said that he thought it must be an elevator ride to hell, and he thought it was oh, maybe okay. a YA retelling of Orpheus. Oh, uh, going down to hell to save your, your lady. Oh, interesting. Which I actually did read a YA retelling of Orpheus. It was pretty good. And it was uh, Kurt Cobain's daughter was one of the main characters. They didn't call her that clearly, but she was clearly supposed to be Francis Bean. And it was very goth and very Seattle. And it was pretty good. Sarah McCary. I can't remember what it's called, but very good book. 
Didn't cool. the FBI just like release their files on Kurt Cobain or something? They have files? <laughs> yeah. I swear I read this like a week or two ago that they just made public or released or whatever, like their files on him. Was it the FBI or the CIA? I don't know, one of them. And they had like all the notes about the conspiracy theories and shit in there. So wow. yeah. People were one hundred percent certain that he was murdered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he was a drug addict. Whatever. I guess I don't know that much about it. I remember being fourteen and very sad about it, but That's yeah, funny. I mean, he was a really sad person. I read. I recently read Joan. No, what? Not Joan Didion. What the hell is her name? The woman who was in. You know what? I'm not going to be able to come up with any of the actual names right now. <laughs> I thought he died by suicide. Not an he did. Oh, but okay. People were 100% certain that Courtney Love had killed him. And the yeah. book that I had read was this, it was a biography, Girl in a Band, Kim Gordon. And she described meeting, she was friends with Kurt Cobain and she described meeting Courtney Love and like, it's not a good take. She does not give Courtney Love any like credit at all. And basically said like, that Courtney was like the catalyst for his downturn because then together was a bad circular reinforcement of all the bad things that each of them were doing, right? Which is like not, it's like, that's very possible. Like I've seen relationships where that's happened, but that still doesn't mean that that person was like the main actor. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's also just a trend of blaming women for men's decisions. Like, I mean, look at, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. (laughs) She was just completely demonized. So, like, I'm not, you know, I don't know. I guess my birthday. Oh. (laughs) Fun fact. (laughs) Um, The book I was talking about is called All Our Pretty Songs, and it is by Sarah McCary. Familiar. I haven't heard of that one. I did just today order the graphic novel from Marcus Books, which is low like longstanding black-owned bookstore um, in Oakland that is now, if I need to order books, I order from them. Their customer service is amazing. But yeah, I was like, oh, they already have it on their shop. Sweet. I don't even have to like call and order it. Um, so I'm excited to see the graphic novel version. So All right. So... <laughs> the total tangent. Well, yeah, I know we're making this for us anyway. It's not like anyone listens to the show. <laughs> um, the so because the book is so short, and honestly, it's just like a long poem. There's not a lot of food items for me to pull out for book plate. So we've got a kind of we've got a more um, creative version of our outline today. So the appetizer I have is black soap, and the I'm, this is a quote from the Goodreads description of the novel, an ode to put the damn guns down. The catalyst in the story is that uh, Will's mother needs uh, black soap for her eczema, and so his brother, Sean, is shopping for the soap, and it has, happens to be nine blocks away from their house, which is in another gang's territory. And so... Will believes that because he crossed the boundary to purchase the soap, that that's why he was killed. I'm actually not sure if that's why. Well, I mean, we find out later there's other things happening, but I think there's a lot. 
there's a lot of like alluding to concepts that exist in the gun violence uh, narrative without going into super detail about what it is, right? Like you just know what it is because you know that gun violence exists. And honestly, I felt really, uh, I had some emotions about the mom having such bad eczema because like I have bad skin stuff and like I know that like getting relief for that is is necessary it was interesting it was just like an interesting catalyst that it's it's not like they were doing anything wrong they were literally shopping for their mom you know yeah i mean just the idea of your world being limited by a number of blocks outside of which is a boundary that could get you killed is just insane like nine blocks is nothing like what it's like not even a mile probably no, I mean, probably not. That's what I think. I mean, I feel like we're seeing that play out on a global scale right now. With Absolutely. Palestine and Israel. But. Yeah. yeah, and with Palestine and Israel, like they've erected walls. So there's like a physical representation of this boundary. But in like Chicago, you know, there's not the physical representation isn't a wall. It's like you have that block memorized. Mm-hmm. Or you know where that boundary is just intrinsically. One of my neighbors grew up in the Heights. That's not what it's called. That's the musical about the neighborhood. Washington Heights. Yes. <laughs> she, she, grew up in, she grew up in Washington Heights. And sometimes when she's telling stories about growing up in New York, she'll like be very explicit about like what the street, like where the crossroad was. Like if you, you cross this street, this is what it meant. If you cross this street, this is what it meant. And it's like, built into her knowledge and like physical life you know i mean that's everywhere like when um the person who like we were running our like um airbnb from or whatever was like showing us around the neighborhood and she was like do not cross like this line that's mob territory like that's the mafia (laughs) and we're like okay and it's not you know there's no like sign that says like mafia here or whatever but it's just like a thing that everybody knows like you just go around unless you want trouble so it's such a foreign concept in where i grew up it was just so rural that it was just land so we didn't have like oh well this is the bad side of the forest <laughs> like it was just this is farms everywhere the first time i really experienced that was when i went to college and i was doing a study abroad in england and i was talking to one of the english guys at a bar and he told me not oh you're going to go to this thing you can't go there this is a really bad neighborhood and i'm just walking through the neighborhood and there's just like kids playing and like a grandma washing her car and i'm like oh yeah so bad definitely gonna get murdered like and i just it always seems so stupid to me but i don't know i guess they're and it's like these aren't even just bad or worse it's just like where you belong and don't belong like this person was murdered in this book because he went into the neighborhood where he was not supposed to be regardless it's very interesting that there's so many like unspoken rules in this book and then like you know on a greater scale so like you know there's the rules like uh no crying no snitching get revenge and then the rules about like where you can and can't go and like um one of my friends like grew up in a neighborhood that was like part of gang territory or whatever there was an unspoken rule like they they knew all the people who lived there and so, like, there was, like, an unspoken rule, like, they're just walking by, they're just going home, like, we don't fuck with, like, random people, they're not part of our beef, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, she's, like, so I felt safe, like, you know, even though, like, 
um my parents were always like nervous about me like going to her place or whatever but she's just like I mean I feel safe because I know the rules you know Mm -hmm. like so yeah I think the first time I ever saw like a neighborhood divide manifested was when I was living when I was going to college in St. Paul but the divide was the highway and that they had destroyed the historical black neighborhood in order to build that highway so on one side was like the suburb of St. Paul that like beautiful idyllic tree run tree line boulevard that our college was in and then on the other side was like where the remnants of that black neighborhood was it's where the Ethiopian restaurant was it's where like the hair shops were and all of that stuff and like the dollar stores and stuff but like you could see it because you could see the gut of the highway that had like basically taken out all of the you know black owned homes in that area yeah I lived in, um, I went to college in St. Louis and that's where my mom and my husband are from. So I've been there a lot. And there's like a very clear, St. Louis is very segregated. And there's like a very clear, like it's an actual street. (laughs) If you like cross over to the other side, then you're in like North St. Louis. And that's like the black area of St. Louis. Then you cross back over and then it's like the white area of St. Louis. It's, it's so wild. I'm seeing that more in Oakland. You know, like I didn't really, the lines kind of blurred in San Francisco where I was. I mean, I knew mainly it was like physical. Like when I came down Bernal Heights, I knew I was now on the mission, right? Mm. Like you're not on a hill anymore. Mm. But here it's like really just like freeway and you can see kind of the remnants of the redlining. Like the, our divide is the freeway overpass. And if you're on our side, the telegraph side, it's where the, major gentrification is happening where first Fridays is held where now a lot of the businesses are white owned and like now certain businesses are turning over and then if you go on to like you go under the overpass and you're on the MLK side that's where there's still a lot of buildings that are like just shuttered but not turned over um there's a lot more like graffiti there's a lot more people on the street like it's just a different vibe and it's literally the thing dividing it is a block of highway yeah my so yeah my neighborhood used to be mostly black like where I grew up and it's just been slowly being gentrified over time and my mom my mom's just like all of a sudden they're just like white people everywhere and they walk with their dogs in packs like what's happening like dog walkers every time I look out my window there's like a group of white women walking their dogs So she's on like, I don't know if it's like a Facebook group for the neighborhood or if it's like um, next door or something, but like there's uh, this one black woman and her son plays, um, I forgot what instrument, violin violin or no, cello. He plays cello and so he takes the bus to school and so he'll be like walking down the sidewalk with his cello case. And this white woman called the police on him because she said he looks suspicious with his like, cello case? With his cello case. I'm like... Did she think oh, he had a Tommy yeah. gun in it? Like, from that, like, the 1920s bootlegging movies? Like, I don't know of any, like, instrument-shaped weapons. <laughs> and, and, like, if it's a cello, you know it's a fucking cello. That's not a small... Like, there, it can't be anything shapes. else. Yeah. And wow. she was like, you know, well, I didn't, you know, he looks suspicious. And then other people were defending her, saying, like, well, if it had been, like, you know somebody who was up to something then you would have been glad that she called and, like, no blah, 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 blah. probably wouldn't have been like and it's just like oh my god lady like you moved here yeah exactly <laughs> and now you're like doing this shit like 
Yes. Yeah, I just I see this repeating everywhere, over and over. Right, like cause they're afraid because they don't know these people because they're new and they haven't made the effort to get to know the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's that's about that's a you problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, we're we're struggling with that in Oakland with like the defund the police. Last year there was a huge movement, you know, to defund the police, and a lot of people started going more to public meetings, and I've seen a lot more like activism like organizations and organizing on uh, Instagram and other social media. And Libby Schaff, apparently, Mayor Libby Schaff of Oakland, who is a white woman, who I personally think is terrible. So this is not an objective opinion, but she apparently got up and said on at a public meeting that you can't listen to the loudest voices. You have to listen to the people most affected. And I was like, the people most affected are the black and brown people who are being killed, incarcerated by police. That's the people most affected. Those are the people who are also getting really loud because you're not listening and you haven't been listening. And I was, I'm just so mad. I'm still just so mad. She's terrible. We need a new mayor. <laughs> She's been mayor for a long time too. Cause I remember her being mayor when I lived the first time, I think. Right. She got reelected because there just wasn't a really good opposition candidate who didn't look too, who didn't look too crazy. And I don't, and crazy is not what I mean. Like opposition candidate, like who wasn't maybe conformist enough. There was a big swath of people who were running against her and there was no one that like a large segment of the community was backing. And so it was hard personally for me, it was hard to know there was like a really young guy, but I was like, you're only 23 and you want to be mayor. And you know, and I was like, I was trying to be like, who has the most experience? And I can't remember who I voted for. I didn't vote for her. But there wasn't like a solid opposition candidate. And like, we need that this year or the next election. We need that really badly. Because Oakland is actually a tax shelter in like the, we have the lowest amount of business taxes. And so all of like, compared to like Berkeley and Richmond. So all of the big businesses move in, take advantage of the tax shelter and then elect candidates to be on the district board so then they create more policy that like protects businesses and doesn't serve people anyway that's a total tangent we don't have to talk about that right you brought up the rules yeah and I have those here and then I have hard-boiled eggs which is one one of the few foods mentioned in the <laughs> but I was like yeah the written and unwritten rules like I don't I think I've, I mean, clearly I've heard of no snitching. I know that especially black men are not supposed to show like weak, quote unquote, weak emotions. So I understand the no crying. And then I get how revenge is feeding back into the cycle. But I was, I was like, what other rules are there? Or like, what rules did we have that we like knew um, 100% that I would have followed, you know? But those rules are hard like to have that much pain and there's no way to release that pain yeah and like that can lead to like killing the wrong person which is what somebody does one of the those rules are like i don't know it's still as violent as the actual shooting and i know it's like yeah there's a general prescription against men crying and i i think it's so weird i cry like at least once a month it feels good it's a relief (laughs) My husband, I've been with him for 20 years. I've seen him cry once when his mom died, and that's it. And I just don't even know how you can do that. It's crazy. I mean, toxic masculinity definitely runs deep. 
And toxic masculinity hurts men, too, which is something so many people don't realize. So many people just hear it and they're like, SJWs and like feminism. But it's like toxic masculinity hurts everybody. Just let that boy cry and then maybe he won't hurt you. Like there's nothing wrong with showing emotion like in a healthy way, like releasing feelings, feeling feelings. There's like, it's okay, but yeah, I don't know anything that's seen as like weak or like feminine or whatever. I don't like, I don't like it. But my dad always cried. Like that was when I was a kid. Well, it freaked me out when he cried. But like he cried at like my birthday when I was fourteen. You know, like he had real emotions and and like he would say one of the things he and his dad fought over when he was growing up was like having emotions and not feeling like his dad had emotions. But I. I have seen Jamal cry maybe only a few times. And like, honestly, he watched um, the new movie, The Sound of Metal, about the musician who goes deaf Mm -hmm. and like then gets the cochlear implant and then finds out that like he didn't want to make that choice. And Jamal came to me after he watched that movie. He was like, like, I could see it in his face. And he was like, I cried. I was like, good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad you're supposed to cry at things like that like that's the whole point of the exercise you know yeah I mean I've definitely Garrett has cried in front of me and doesn't like seem to feel embarrassed about it or whatever I don't know if it would be the same if he was like in front of his guy friends though right like there's a different there's a different like I don't know vulnerability I guess that men sometimes can express around women that they can't or they feel like they can't like with their bros so I mean like you know he cried when his grandma died he cried when the blues won the Stanley Cup like (laughs) (laughs) I mean it was the first time in history and that is like his team it's a big deal yeah it was (laughs) but we should just make men all watch up (laughs) the first time (laughs) gotta cry it's good for you even if he's just like super frustrated sometimes like you know, it's was I don't know. It's not, I don't know. It shouldn't be a big deal. Especially for, like, a child. Like, I, I, how old is this character supposed to be? 15? 15. Or 15, maybe. it, too. Like, the whole boys don't cry thing. Like, that starts from super early age. And, yeah. like, even if, like, a kid or a baby or a small child is crying because they're physically hurt, they're, like, told that that's bad. And so, like, yeah. where does that emotion go? It gets, like, pent up and turns into, like, rage and violence and expressing it in ways that harm everybody around them. Especially teens should cry. They've got so many emotions going on all the time, and they feel, like, intense. They feel, like, dangerous. You know? Like, you feel like you might literally choke to death on your emotions when you're a teenager. So just not having any outlet for that is not a good way. I was shamed a lot for crying as a kid. I mean, I cried a lot also because I I had very strong, I still have very strong emotions. And honestly, I cry a lot. <laughs> but like as a kid, I couldn't control it. And I'd get into like a hiccuping, like can't breathe type of situation. And people literally didn't know what to do. And they thought I was exaggerating. And they thought that I was like, that I was doing it on purpose. And I was like, no, I literally have no control. And so I often was shamed by teachers and other kids and everything until like I was like very ostracized because of 
bad experience. And to this day, like when I really care about something, that's when I will cry the easiest is when I deeply, deeply care. And honestly, sometimes it's about joy or feeling like I accomplished something is when I cry the easiest. It's at work where I was like really worried about having to present at the public meetings. I was like, what if I cry? Then that's just not a good, it's not a professional look. It doesn't look professional. Mm -hmm. If uh-huh. I cry about this thing and everyone's like, well, that means you care. I'm like, yes, but you understand why I don't want to do that. Right? Like people will assume that I am not professional because I cried. I got stopped by that at law school. Like I was getting emotional about something in a conversation and I had like a fellow law student who I considered a friend. She's like, you look like you're about to cry. You need to get the fuck a hold of yourself. Like no one's ever going to listen to you again. Oh my God. Like, oh. She's like, we're here to be grown-ups and adults. And how is anybody going to trust you like, to argue their, their case if you can't just keep a lid on it? And I was like, it actually, like, I felt like I was slapped in the face, but like, I never did it again. Like, I don't I know. I was normalized crying. <laughs> <laughs> like, same. It's, yeah. I, my therapist cried in front of me one time. I felt so horrible. Oh. Because, like, I mean, my therapist is a black woman, and so, and I was just talking about, like, all the constant, like, police violence, you know, and how it was weighing on me, and, like, you know, obviously that's a very personal topic for her, too, and, like, yeah. you know, and she cried, and then she was just like, I'm so sorry, like, it won't happen. I'm like, why? Like, I felt bad. I'm like, I didn't mean to, like, trigger you, you know, <laughs> and she's just like, oh, it's not professional, and she's like, but why not? Like, what's wrong with, like, you know, showing vulnerability or showing that, like, hey, this is, this is not just affecting you. Like, this is really hard yeah. for, like, a lot of us. So. Me, it just shows she's with me, like, which is the most professional for a therapist. Yeah. But I do understand, like, not wanting... I understand also, like, the white woman tears part of it, too, which is one of the things that I get into. Mm. Like, I don't want to cry at work because then I, I don't want other people to think I'm trying to manipulate them. And I And absolutely, when we were, like, trying to have conversations at work about hard topics like the people who were crying were the white women of an age in supervisorial positions and i was like of course i mean of course that's it the whole is. thing like white women weaponizing their tears i did this i had to do this like um i don't know racial i don't know privilege awareness kind of like three-day long pd professional development and like the woman who led it was a black woman and I just like I she had more patience than I ever will because like one of the exercises that we did it was like a list of you know sort of check this if you have ever like been followed in a store like check here if like um whatever you have been told your hair is ugly you know just whatever like all of this stuff and like I had almost everything on that list checked and, like, the white women in my group were just sobbing because they were like, I didn't know it was this bad. I'm like, this God. is my everyday fucking life. Like, and you're, like, twice my age. They're like, crying because stuff that happened to you. Wow. Like, they didn't just let you. That's crazy. What um, a bitch. <laughs> and I just, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it was the last day of the three days and my patience mm-hmm. was just wearing thin and like you know we were invited to like share our feelings about it and that's when they were just like I had no idea it was so bad and I was just like um you, this is- you did though you did though right you, you did. <laughs> I was like this are you sh- everyday life and people saying that they didn't know just means they haven't been paying attention because like 
just open your eyes. So I'm like, I'm not here for it. <laughs> so I mean, like, context is important for sure. Yeah. But. Be <laughs> new. Like, come on. And even if you didn't, like, you're still making yourself, like, the victim and you're still centering yourself and your feelings about it when I'm like, these are things that I'm affected by every single fucking day and things that you have never had to worry about. <laughs> and, like, you're I- upset that it's not comfortable for you anymore and that you're being confronted with it. And I'm just like, what else is new? <laughs> but we have to coddle you and your feelings. Cause you're like, I have no idea. Oh, super shitty. Uh, I and so honestly, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to go back into the office is because like, <laughs> I've been reading more about how like microaggressions, like in the office just like build up over time. And of course it's worse for people who are not, you know, cishet white folks. And like, I, it, it was getting bad. For, I was just getting so frustrated with like the gender stuff. Like, and now I'm like, for the first time, honestly, and I, I gave this feedback to my team too. For the first time, they all use my correct pronouns at a staff meeting. And I was just like, damn, it took this long. But I also gave them the feedback. I was, it really meant a lot. Like, it yeah. absolutely meant a lot. And it was the first time where Noah and misgendered me in a meeting that was like more than five minutes long. And I was just like, dang, going back into the office, it's not gonna be that. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. And then I have to put on real people clothes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, I just wanna be in my creature clothes. Outfit though. I love the way you dress. I mean, and for a long time, it was about performance, right? And I was like putting on a character, like it was almost drag, I realize now. But I was thinking about that. That was one of the things I was thinking about today. I was like, what if I have a work moo and, and I just like, <laughs> keep it at work. And so I can like, because commuting makes me super sweaty and gross, right? And so I can be like sweaty and gross. And then I get to work and I put on my work moo And it's like absolutely gorgeous fabric or whatever. Yeah. But I only wear that. Like never anything else. Oh, only caftans. Like you could be like, this is Roper from Three's Company. Just in your 70s. Amazing caftan. So, like, days when I knew it was going to be a really long day or night in my classroom, like, before report cards were due or if I was, like, you know, cleaning up at the end of the year or whatever, I would, like, stick my slippers in my backpack <laughs> and <then> just, like, <laughs> change into them after school <laughs> and just potter around my classroom and my slippers. <laughs> I love it. I love those creature comforts. <laughs> Well, our other, our dessert here is sugar cereal. So they eat sugar cereal with hard-boiled eggs. It's like the one meal that's discussed in the book. And we already mentioned this, but there's both an audiobook and a graphic novel. And also this, this book has won so many awards. Like I, I was so looking at it, I was like, dang, it's all the big names. And The um, audiobook is actually read by the author too, which isn't usual, but he does a really great job. It was so good. Like I listened to it multiple times because it was just so good and then the interview at the end was really interesting but I do want to read the the shape of the poem because the little bit I saw on Goodreads I was like oh this is really visually dynamic I want to see what this looks like on the page yeah I almost I was like this close to getting the audiobook and then I saw that there was a graphic novel and it was just it's so beautifully illustrated um, the art is by Danica Novgorodov, and like it's all watercolor. Oh, oh how beautiful! Because of all the yeah. smoke from the ghosts, I can totally imagine that. That sounds beautiful. 
Yeah, and like the flashback scenes are in kind of like a blue gray tint. So you know okay. that you know that it's like somebody telling their story or reflecting on like what happened or whatever. Um, but then I don't know, it just sort of occurred to me as we were talking about like lines and sort of un invisible boundaries and unofficial things. Like watercolor doesn't stay in the lines, right? Like mm-hmm. so it kind of goes where it wants to. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah. that was like such a good choice. Like it just fits so well with um with this book. That's beautiful. That's so cool. And I really, I mean, the other book that we read with Jason Reynolds was the, was American Boys where there was the other author. And I didn't like that one as much at all. I especially didn't like the white kid story. I was hella annoyed with him. So I was, I'm glad that uh, for every young adult chose like a Jason Reynolds only book for us to read and that it's poetry. I really appreciate the more diverse choices that we've been getting the last few years i i really liked all american boys the thing that i didn't like though was that the black character his dad was a cop and i feel like that's done to sort of both sides it a little bit like in the hate you give her uncle is a cop right so we get the like police perspective and i'm like i'm not interested in the fucking police perspective like all cops are bastards (laughs) like (laughs) so like and I, i don't know i feel like it's like a little not maybe like meant to appease or meant to like be like see i'm not like being one-sided there's a cop character and they're black Ooh, wrestling with dual identity does he do My- miles morales didn't i hear the yeah comic version i think so, so that's another wrote- person with the cop dad yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there we go mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i i don't want to hear yeah, he the cop it. version because i'm over the cops as well but I do know that that is a real lived experience. Like cop police is a blue collar job that is accessible to black men. And a lot of black men who went to the military then do police officer jobs. And I also think it's like a way to keep the system as it is. Right. But like that is an experience. Like I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but when I first moved to Oakland and I found out that awful story about all the police who were um, sexually abusing the underage girl who'd been trafficked, like, which is just an awful story, but also just endemic about the Oakland police and like how they're not trustworthy for anything and like they don't do services. Um, I was posting about it on Facebook, and one of my friends, who is like a black woman I'd known through my previous roommate, also a black woman, was like, "My dad is a." is a military person and like he's the best person I know and you better not be talking shit and I was like I don't know your father but like you know like these things still happen right like these are real stories they they both can exist at the same time you know I actually saw when I was in the kids train sign that says all cops are bastards yes even your uncle like yes I was gonna say there's a meme <laughs> that I have saved to my phone that like has like cartoon pictures of cops and they're all crossed out or whatever and it's like all cops are bastards yes even your uncle george or whatever (laughs) i mean because to be in that system means you're upholding the system either you're ignoring or you're you're either ignoring or you're implicit or like you're making choices to compromise your morals right like those are those are kind of your three options like there isn't another option you know to the 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 white woman tears right 
I didn't know it was this bad. There's no black person working for police or the military that can say they didn't know it was this bad. Right. You know? <laughs> they know it's that bad and they're still working that job, which sucks. You know, we get stuck in our capitalism system and it's hard to make different choices. Let's see what else do I have on here? Oh, the last thing I have drinks, which are cigarettes. A lot of cigarettes. There's also a blunt smoked in the <laughs> in the elevator. And I just want to know what you think happens at the end. Like literally the last yeah. words in the story are uh, his brother Sean who's dead turning to him saying, You coming? That is the last line. Yeah. It was a mic drop, but I was listening. I was like, it's over. No. <laughs> I didn't get to see a winding down. Like, yeah. I think, I think he had enough testimony that he didn't do it. I think he didn't do it. And I think the reason for that is because his brother cried. And so seeing his brother firsthand, like, break the cycle, break rule number one, mm -hmm. I hope slash think it would have been enough for him to say, like, well, I can break a rule, too. But I don't. I think if that hadn't happened, if his brother had just been, like, telling a story like everybody else or even just been silent the whole time, that he probably still would have gone through with it. I think that was, like, the, the breaking point or whatever. Because he was so shocked. He's like, wait, here he is breaking the number one rule. Like, so why can't I break a rule too? Because it's, it's just this cycle that's been passed down literally from like father to son, like over and over. And he's never seen it broken before. Like everybody carries out this, you know, honor code or whatever of like abiding by these rules. And so the, that rule was broken, like in front of him, like right before he had to make this decision. So I'm hoping that that like helped him to, to not go through with it. His dad also broke the rule. Not intentionally, though. I mean, this is another thing he finds out in the elevator. His dad didn't kill the person who killed his uncle. His, or was it the uncle? Who was the person who killed the wrong person? But that's not breaking a rule. That's an accident, right? But it's, it's you didn't fulfill the revenge rule number three. Because um, he there's a line in the story where he's like, missing a misser. And I'm not saying it the way Jason Reynolds says it, but it's the way his dad is a misser because he didn't oh, get okay. the person. And then he was like, how can I be missing someone who didn't get the person as in like judging him for not mm -hmm. fulfilling rule number three? So it's not as stark of a contrast to your point, Britt. Like it's not his brother crying in front of him, but I felt like that was showing like, even in the cycle, like you haven't been doing like mm -hmm. and all the, the rules are the trap the rules are the actual trap mm -hmm. was that um at book club yesterday was that you who said that um the you coming was referring to like are you coming to god like are you coming yes. to join us as god that's what i that's, that's what i thought yeah i didn't think of yeah. that and that i was just like wow i didn't yeah because they're all meeting. dead they're like i th i thought it was like are you coming to join us in yeah. death but like, cause that's why I was like, it's open. Like it could be, and like coming, like is leaving the elevator. He's not going back up to the apartment. And I was honestly like the thing that I was most worried about was his pants. Cause he wets himself in the elevator. And I was like, is he going to try to run and shoot someone with his wet jeans? I was like really worried that that would be a difference to him. Like being able to, I don't know, just like be out in the world and 
whatever. I was like, he at least has to change his clothes. I don't know. That, I don't know why I got stuck on, on that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it's like really it's, open-ended. It is. And I kind of, I, I respect it. <laughs> I understand like why the author did that. I mean, it would have been nice to have a resolution, but it's much more powerful this way. Cause it leads you to think about like all the possibilities, like, right. We wouldn't have be having this conversation if like he had said, and then he went to go kill the guy or, and then he went back upstairs. <laughs> Like, like oh, all right. Like either well, way, it feels so anticlimactic, honestly. Yeah, because so, we're like presented with the information, and it's like, okay, well, what would you do with it now? Like, well, yeah, because he's got all this. Okay, so like testimony that you heard from all the different people, but he's still gonna live that life. He's still gonna live in a life where the rules apply, even if he's recognized the rules to be a trap. That doesn't mean they're not gonna still trap him. You know? Right. Yeah. So. Right. Because he, I mean, the way the story is presented is that the the family stays in the space and, like, doesn't go anywhere. And, like, they've been in the same space and they've been in the same cycle. Versus, like, a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air story where you get sent to <laughs> a different place to live. You know, your classic Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> One of the seven story types. I mean, honestly, that's probably how many, many white children learned about um families being sent to like kids being sent to different places to avoid violence you know i mean that's why my my older half brother like he he was involved in like gang activity and stuff growing up in chicago and he and his wife moved to like middle of nowhere indiana so that his their sons like wouldn't like pursue that same path or whatever mm-hmm. so that's why Jamal got sent to his uncle's house in California. I mean, also their family, but like his family couldn't deal with him and like whatever he was doing. So they sent him to California for the summers. That's a familial story. I really hope that he breaks it, but I don't know if he does. And I, honestly, I do think that that's like, I think the other part that makes it really strong is because that's what's great about it being in the poem. Like poems don't have to be conclusionary. They can be like open and ending. <laughs> Sorry, you just, you froze for a second. (laughs) I was like, you, you were like, poems can be open-ended and then froze. I'm like, like this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) This performance. (laughs) I mean, I thought that it was like, honestly, Jason Reynolds is a master and deserves all the accolades. I don't. If he got them. (laughs) I've heard that he smells very good. I can't remember who told me that, but they were like, he smells very good. I was like, well. That's a very intimate fact, but I'm not mad. <laughs> and this is why authors are like, maybe we shouldn't have conventions anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm happy doing Zoom events where no one can smell me. And just, that's what I <laughs> well, that's all I have. All right, so until next time, book up a tea. A girl strip of the Henny Zipper. I drop lyrics off and on like a light switch. Quick to grab the right bitch and make her drive the queue. 45 plus and texts are expected when I wreck shit. Respect is collected, so check it. I got techniques dripping out my butt cheeks. Sleep on my stomach so I don't fuck up my sheets. Look, my shit is deep, deeper than my grave, G. I'm ready to die and nobody can save me. Fuck the world, fuck my moms and my girl. My life is played out like a jerry curl. I'm ready to die.